The band came out and they sang one of my favorite songs and there's this line in it that I want to make sure you heard. If you if you'd let me I'd give you my world. How can I when you won't take it from me? We're going to talk about that principle today. We're going to talk about how God honors movement and how it's so easy as human beings to get stuck, to do what psychologists call, and this is really a thing for me, to begin ruminating in your mind. You can begin catastrophizing, which basically is nothing more than psychology talk for saying that you're just going to continue to assume that nothing is going to get better. In fact, it's going to get worse. What I want to talk with this series that we're in, that we're starting today, is I want to talk about how God honors movement, about how wherever you are right now, that God wants you to say, regardless of how I feel, regardless of the justification, regardless of how much I want to stay and just sort of wallow where I am, God wants you to say, forget it, let's go, let's get moving. Now, let me just pause and say, we were in the middle of a series called Science, Genesis, and the Truth, and I was just getting warmed up, and then I got the flu, and I'm pretty sure I had COVID. I didn't take the test because it didn't matter because I was on the couch for seven days. And uh, the big, big point of that is make sure you get your flu shot. Get the flu shot. So anyway, um, I had lots of conversations with people about that. We're going to finish that series uh, later in February. And I just want to thank Frank and Pete for batting for me in a pinch. And I uh, just want to let you know we're going to finish that. But back to what we're talking about here today. Have you ever read the Bible and you come across a verse and it just like, it feels like it, it just grabs you. That's the verse we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 25 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. Jesus is saying to this, this parable to his disciples, he's in Jerusalem, he's about to get killed, and he wants to convey to them one simple truth. The best way to do that is to tell a story. So he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And then he went on a journey and left. So everybody gets the picture, this is a guy that has a lot of money. I'm going to Europe for the summer. I need you to manage my money. I'm gonna give you five, you two, you one. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more. We're gonna come back to that. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold said, Master, look what I've done. I took two, I multiplied them into two more. Here's four, well done, good and faithful service. Come in, enjoy your master's happiness. And then the man who came in with one said, Master, I know you're a hard working man. Harvesting where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground and see here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money at least at, uh, deposit it in the bank. You're gonna gain some interest there. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them and throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What was Jesus trying to convey to his disciples right before he went to the cross through this story? Now, for those of you who've been in church world a while, you have heard this story called the parable of the talents. This comes from the King James Bible from 1611. King James of England authorized a translation of the Bible into King James English in 1611. And that verse says in verse 15, the parable of the talents, go to the next one here. Go to the next one, here we go. No, go to the next one. All right, and it says, and unto one he gave five talents. So this is often called the parable of the talents, but that's not what it means. Talents comes from the Greek word talenton, which was a bag. Oftentimes you will see if you go to Rome, you'll see the, the Arch of Titus, and at the top of it, you will see Roman soldiers carrying away the riches from Israel when they came and they sacked Jerusalem in 66 AD. And you will see someone carrying a talenton full of gold. As Grant Osborne says, New Testament scholar, a talent was the amount of weight a soldier could carry on his back and it referred to 75 to 100 pounds of gold or silver. How much money do you think that is? How much, how much money can you carry on your back in gold? I, I think I carry a lot, right? If I get to keep it, I, I carry a lot. And a, 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 an entire duffel bag full of gold, um, Jesus is referring to, gosh, two million, three million, four million, five million dollars worth of gold? That, that's the first thing I wanna point out. It's not referring to a talent like, hey, you have a talent. Like lean over to the person next to you right now and see if they can roll their tongue. That's talent, people. Can you do it? Go to the people next to you right now. Roll the tongue. Can you do it? Who can't roll your tongue? Raise your hand. Ah, leave, leave. We don't want you. We don't, you don't have any talents, right? 
The second thing that's in the story I want to point out is the NIV translators don't correctly uh, translate the word servant. Like in verse 14 it says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. And it called his servants. Now when we read servants, we think of these guys from Downton Abbey, right? Mr. Carson, prepare my bath, right? These are servants. That's not the word that Jesus uses. And the NIV translators, when they translate it, they're just simply being sensitive. In our culture, we obviously have a history of slavery and we're dealing still with the ramifications of that. So they just felt, rather than translating it what it really means, let's just translate it servant. But really what it means is, doulos is the Greek word for slave. And in the first century, um, it was about slavery, not based on skin color, but based on conquering and war, right? You conquer another country, you take away their people, you put them in slavery. So Jesus is using this very ugly concept. Here's a guy who owns slaves, who's going on a journey, and he gave his slaves money. He, Jesus would use worldly examples to explain spiritual truths. So understandably, the NIV translators didn't want to translate it that, but when they do that, you miss the power of it. You miss what he's trying to translate. So in verse 25, 14, it says, and he called, tus um, idios, the, the, uh, his slaves. These are people that worked for him and he owned these people. And what Jesus is trying to communicate is that we are his slaves. We're all slaves. If you don't get the fact that when you get baptized, you are signing up for slavery, you don't understand Christianity. Because now every decision, every resource, your future, it's his. And then what he does is he gives it back to you and he says, I want you to manage this for me. Do you get that? That's actually a really cool concept. I give you my entire self as a slave and he said, I'm gonna now give you your life back. It's gonna be even better, but don't forget, I own you. So again, it says in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven will be like a master, a slave owner going on a journey. Paul, when you read the New Testament letters, there are 13 letters in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And almost always, he begins them, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. When you redefine your identity as no longer a slave to the world, as no longer a slave to other people, where you're gonna be people pleasing other people, where your sole goal now is to please him, everything changes. Unfortunately, there are Christians that are still stuck, slaves to the world, slave to addiction, slave to other people, slave to the culture, its beliefs, its norms, its values. Why? Because it's way easier to be a slave to the world than to stand out like a sore thumb, slave to Jesus. So anyway, verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and then one bag of gold. What do these bags refer to? It refers to everything that you are. 
Jesus is going to go to heaven and he's telling his disciples that you are my slaves and I've given you a ton of stuff. I want you right now to look at someone right next to you. Look at them in the eye and tell me what you see. Maybe blonde hair, brown hair. If they're bald, just take your hand and just rub it right on their head. They love it. They love it when you rub their head, right? But everything that that person is, the moment you realize that I now have given it to Jesus, he's given it back to me, you realize how much you have, how much money you've been given, how much time you've been given, health, education, relationships, privilege, people, opportunities, leverage, platforms. We have all of this stuff. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want to exaggerate how much you have. You are like a person that has a $5 million bag of gold on their back. Now, my question is, do you believe that? A lot of us have been beat up in life and we think everybody's got a bag, just mine's empty. That's how we view ourselves sometimes, right? So Jesus is exaggerating. Here's a guy that's got $5 million on his back. He's exaggerating like people will say, Wawa is 10,000 times better than Dunkin' Donuts. Right? How many of you like Dunkin'? Better than Wawa? You need to join the people that can't roll their tongues. Okay? And you need, right? Here's what I want you to, what I, what I want us to understand about this parable is that the kingdom of God is about multiplication and that God honors movement. The kingdom of God is about not staying stuck where we are. Realizing your bag isn't empty. You got $5 million worth of gold on it. You were created for a reason. Now I wanna talk about two things that this parable talks about. The first is obvious that Jesus is referring to money. And so the first thing that this parable teaches his disciples as he's getting ready to go is I'm gonna give you resources and God wants us to multiply our money. God wants us to multiply the money, right? So look at the man, right? He received one bag, he came to the master, and he said, I know you're a hardworking guy, so I just put it in the ground. And what did he say to him? You wicked and lazy servant, you put it in the ground. You put your money, you put my money, because remember, you're my slave, you put my money in the ground, right? So take it away and give it to the one who has. There are two kinds of Christians in this room. Those who say, I don't have enough and squander what they've already been given, like the one bag person, and those who take what they've been given and they see it as their responsibility to manage it and they don't waste it frivolously and they invest it and they build it. Christian financial author Joe Sengel points out in his book, I love this title, I was broke, now I'm not. Debt is the single greatest cause of stress and financial problems. He said, I've never had a person say to me, Joe, I got a credit card and I ran up a huge balance and all my dreams came true. 
right? That never happens. Why? Because our grandparents, our grandparents thought debt was a sin. You go into debt, I mean, you get out of it now. Debt is not a financial strategy, right? I love this story. Before Dave Ramsey ever was here in the Christian community, there was a financial author by the name of Ron Blue. Back in the 70s, Ron Blue had a guy come to him for counseling. He was 80 years old. He said, I'm getting ready to retire and I need to know if I'm going to have enough money to retire. And Ron feared the worst. Now, according to Social Security, only 2% of Americans reach age 65, financially independent, able to fund their retirement. 30% must depend on charity. 23% must continue to work. 45% must receive help from relatives. That means 85 out of 100 Americans reach age 65 only saving $250. Now back to the story. Ron, Ron sits down with this guy and he says, so what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, geez. And um, he's like, how much did you make? Thinking he didn't make a lot of money. And he said, I made $8,000 a year. Never made more than $8,000 a year. This is back in the late 70s. And he said, Reverend so-and-so, do you have any debt? And he said, I don't, I don't have any. I couldn't afford to borrow and pay the interest. He's like, well, okay, well, that's one good thing. And then Ron said, do you have any savings? To which he said, I have $250,000 in cash, CDs, and other mutual funds, and then $350,000 in low-risk investments. He's tied to, he's Tabulating that, Ron Blue says that's $600,000 accumulated by a guy that never made $8,000. He pushed back from the table and said, you don't need my advice, I need your advice. Now the average American does the exact opposite. Let's just say, for instance, I'm just throwing a number out there, 100,000 as an average household income. There will be people who make less, there will be people that will make a lot more in this area. But let's just use the number of 100,000. Statistics tell us that in 2023, the average household in this area, in a 10 mile radius of this building, will spend 104% of that 100,000. That means they'll make 100,000, they'll put 4,000 on debt, they'll save nothing, and they'll go into the next year even worse. Now the news keeps telling us that we're gonna go into a recession. Some people say we're already in a recession. The fact is, there are a ton of people here that are in debt, that don't have a short-term emergency fund, that are not saving adequately for the future. Not giving, not helping other people, not helping family. And they're experiencing this principle firsthand. Whoever has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I wore this jersey today because I am very uh, proud of the Eagles. 
I also wore this jersey today because I was up late and I didn't have time to iron my clothes. So, but look at my jersey, okay? What does it take to build a, a, a football team that competes for the Super Bowl every year, that gets to the playoffs every year? I'm talking about a high caliber football team. There are the things that we know that has to happen. There has to be a great owner that has a vision that has the ability to hire a general manager that has that vision, they share that value. They have to hire a coach that shares that vision and the three of them together need to all be on the same page. What's the first position you're gonna hire? Quarterback, right? And around the quarterback, you need to have about six or seven blue chip players. And around that, after that point, you're gonna work on culture, 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 culture. Culture eats talent for lunch. You can take a less gifted team that has culture like the Jaguars and they can go pretty far in the playoffs because they get a new coach that brings a new culture. It's the same thing with our finances. Where were you 10 years ago financially? Were you worse off or better off? Where were you five years ago, worse off or better off? The reality is those things change. And what I think this parable is encouraging us to do is wherever we are right now, financially, we say, the past, I can't change it. I can learn from it, but I'm not gonna change it. But going forward, I'm gonna build a winning financial culture for myself. I'm gonna build a fully funded life as Joe Sangle talks about. That's why I'm excited. So we've done this two times before, um, but we're bringing Joe Sangle from Enjoy Stewardship to come and preach um, on Febu Sunday, February 5th. He's not talking about giving a bunch of money to the church and that sort of thing. It's about all of us developing a winning culture with money and winning with money. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna come and preach on the fifth and then Monday night, he's gonna have a seminar called the Financial Learning Experience. And it's a two hour action packed seminar where he's going to fire you up to win with your money to make at the beginning of 2024 the best financial position you've ever been in in your life. He doesn't make any money from this. He's not making any money and earning money from any advice he's given. That's not, it's a ministry to Christians. So I wanna encourage you to go to our website, ccblive.com, and sign up to be here on Monday. We've done this two times, and people raved about it. People point to it as the moment where they said, that's it. I was sick and tired of being where I was. I'm done doing that. Boom, I'm starting a new future. Can't change the past, but you can change where you're going. Now, the second thing that I think this parable teaches us is that God wants us to multiply our leaders. God wants us to multiply people, like the bag Right, the talenton, all it is, it's a bag. You can put money in it. But I also want you to view people in there. God wants us to multiply people. On Thursday, Lisa and I went down to visit uh, Mark Burton, who is one of the key leaders in our fourth and fifth grade ministry. 
is in the hospital in downtown Philadelphia. A couple weeks ago, he had a brain aneurysm. They took him, they almost, he almost died. And at this point, he is on life support. He's on breathing tube. And they continue to need our prayers. And I, I love them. Someone said they're like pillar, a pillar family in our church. And I just don't think it was like they just woke up one day and said, we're gonna be a pillar family of the church. They just said, we're just gonna invest in people. And they said that they're gonna start investing in fourth and fifth graders. And I love that because I have a friend that calls that age group pre-people. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, middle school, they're not fully human yet. You know that some of you have some pre-people right now and you need prayer, right? We've all had pre-people and you, you gotta love the quirks and the questions and everything's so dramatic and he hates me, but he loves me and she, and oh, it's all pre-people. They're, they're, they're sort of hard to imagine, you know, they're hard to manage, you know, and uh, uh, Mark and Allie, they just love them. They just love them because they see their potential. The point that this parable is making is that every disciple of Jesus has been given an enormous pile of gifts. And he expects us to use that to make more and better disciples and to not squander what he's given us. I want you to think right now, okay? Clear your mind, put your phone down, Clear your mind, and I want you to think of someone that if you spent just a little time with them in 2023, and here's what I'm referring to, calling them up, texting them, said, hey, let's get to the once a month. Who is the person that comes to mind that if you invest in that person, you're going to change the tra trajectory of that person's life? Who is that person? See, the one talent person is someone that comes to church and sits and listens to me, and at the end of it, they're like, that was a, that was a four. All right? That was a nine. That, that was a two. It was a 10. Worship, 10. Eric wasn't here, it was a one. No, but Robbie was great, it was a nine. The kids' classes was, you know? And what we do is we're just, we're, we're consumers. We're taking it in, feed me. Take it in, take it in, take it in, take it in. This teaching that Jesus was giving his disciples before he's gonna to go to heaven, he's explaining there is going to be a powerful, powerful drive in your life to become stagnant and to become stuck and to stick in this wallowing sense of my life is not gonna get any better, I am what I am, the habits that I have, the addictions that I have, the problems that I have, I am here 
really, there's cement hardening around my feet. It's not going to get any better. And what Jesus is saying is, come on, let's go. You're in pain. I get it. Let's go. You lost your job. Let's go. You got a divorce. Let's go. You have a problem with a kid. Let's go. Something at work. Let's go. You know, uh, back then I had more time. I had more energy. I wanted to do whatever. Let's go. We don't have time. You can't change the past. You can learn from the past. But you can certainly, what this parable is saying, you can certainly say, I'm going to change my finances. I'm going to change another person's life. I am going to move from being a consumer to someone that's going to make an impact. And we know what happens to the person that is given five talents, and you look around the room, there are people that are five talent people. They woke up with incredible privilege and opportunities, but they didn't say, I'm stuck, I'm gonna be served. They're like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna give pack, I'm gonna invest in people. I was just talking to someone this morning. Went and started a company. He's a five talent guy and is crushing it. And I said, you listen to me right today. I think what I'm supposed to say is there's gonna be a lot of people in pain. He was like, oh no, no, I already got you beat. I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. And what does Jesus say to someone like that? He who has will be given more. Why? He's giving it out. It's a funnel. Someone else, I'm investing in other people. It's going and it continues to come. But there are other people like the person that's given one back who says, my life sucked growing up. My parents, no one paid for my school. I'm in this dead-end job. I'm in this relationship. And so I am just going to cruise and chill and watch Netflix and waste time and numb myself. And I'm gonna numb myself for the rest of my life. And that person is gonna stand before Jesus and say, you had so much to offer and you stuck it in the ground. And you know what else he's gonna to say to him? Depart from me, you lazy and wicked service, servant. Go into the darkness. Where's the darkness? Dallas. That's right. That's right. We want you in the playoffs. We want you. That's right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, your word. It's living. It's powerful. And man, when we're hurt, it's so easy to be stuck. Justifiably so. There's a lot of pain in this room. Justifiably so. But every once in a while, we get a glimpse of someone who's got a hold of you. And they're like, let's go. All of us want that. We want to be these kinds of people. Whatever talent, whatever bag we have, fill it with opportunity. And we're just going to give it away for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, 
please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.